welcome back to another episode of Two Guys, One Topic. This week is a topic expert interview all about wine. Yeah, this is a... Uh, well, we've already pre-recorded this interview, haven't we, Ollie? So I can say that this is fantastically interesting. I'm allowed to say that. Definitely. Spoiler. Spoiler alert. This is going to be really, really good, we hope. Um, but with us today is TV presenter, podcaster, but probably more important, the wine expert who you might have seen on Saturday Kitchen or even ITV's This Morning. Uh, joining us for our interview today is Ollie Smith. Ollie, thank you very much for joining us and being on the podcast. It's an absolute pleasure. I love the world of podcasts and I also love the world of wine. So the two have come together and I couldn't be more thrilled. <laughs> that is perfect. The perfect combination for us then at Two Guys, One Topic. So as, as people know, this week we research wine and we still have some outstanding questions that we would we'd love to, to pose to you, Ollie. Um, but I think before we get into those questions, can we just ask you just personally, how did you get into wine in the first place? Yeah, I remember it well. I was working in a wine shop and I was kind of it was kind of like when I was a student and I was lugging boxes and delivering them and I didn't know anything at all about wine. I didn't know how to pronounce the names and I was in there thinking I'd really like to know kind of what these boxes contain and why people seem to be getting so excited about it. And I would read the label and think, it just doesn't add up. I don't understand, you know, how can I possibly learn? And there was a lovely bloke who worked with me in the cellar called Eamon. And he was just like Burgess Meredith in the Rocky movies. He was like okay. a trainer in the corner, a wizened kind of dude. And he would say to me, you know what? What you need to understand is this is like, this is called Rioja. And what it is, is it's a place in Spain, it's a blend of grapes, it tastes like this and it's great with lamb. But all you really need to, to know is that it is a scrumptious bargain at the time that's going to okay. fly off the shelves. And I was like, oh, okay. So if I think about my budget, what I might like to eat, you know, then I can kind of get a handle on what the flavours might be like. So I went on a long journey of kind of getting my wine qualifications and learning about how to kind of think of it on behalf of the customer's point of view. Because if you walk into a wine shop and you're faced with a wall of wine, you yes. don't have all the time in the world. It's not like an eternal library of pleasure where you think, oh, I might just browse for eternity. But it's actually one of those things you want to make a decision and you want to have fun you want to get home and think I, I scored a bargain it's going to be delicious with my roast pork and you know what I'm going to go on a flavor journey share it with my mates and that was really got me that was what got me excited so it was initially lugging boxes and being a delivery person yeah. and then after that tasting the stuff and thinking I can't wait to tell as many people as possible about this oh amazing love that enthusiasm hey I used to work at the beers wines and spirits section of Sainsbury's we did yeah. not have a seller and we did not have a guru, <laughs> you know, and, and I had no idea what went with what when people asked me. I just Do you know what? I, you're, so, you're spot on. I owe so much to Eamon. And I remember it was an independent wine shop called Orange and Company Vintners that was behind the bus station in St. Helier, Jersey. And it was a small shop, but what it what it had was it, it gave us the kind of you know I was able to see all of the wines around me and mm -hmm. and I, I love the idea that you're there in the beers one the spirits did you have a particular tipple Liam that you absolutely loved Juno's Juno's yeah lots of strange people like Juno's I had to keep my eye on that quite a lot um, no no I didn't I honestly I, I 
didn't drink. I, I don't drink wine and I, I don't know much about it. I was saying in the podcast, I, I used to mix red wine with Coke when I was at uni. Do you know what people still do? In Spain, they call it a calimocho. And I was out there working and a, a quite a reputable, I won't say who it is, but quite a reputable wine person okay. said to me, oh, have you ever had one? And I was like, what? no, I never have. And it was, I'm not going to lie, cheap and cheerful red topped up with ice and a slice and some Coke. It was absolutely <laughs> delicious. <laughs> I'm standing by it. It was a nice drink. It was, it was, yeah. you know, it was a party drink. But so it was Ollie, that's a that's a calimacho, is it? Calimacho, yeah, calimacho. Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. All of, none of the listeners can see my smug face now because <laughs> basically what you're saying is I was the quite. It's, it's a know, fun drink. Smart. Yeah, people do it all the time. Like in Spain, they have this thing called a Tinto de Verano where they mix red wine with like lemonade or Sprite or 7-Up, chuck a load of fruit in it in a big jug with ice. And it's what keeps people going. It's like, it's basically kind of similar to Pims, I guess. You're just lengthening the drink and making it into a cocktail. And that, that's something else I've always thought with wine. It's it's there to be enjoyed and it's yours to customise as yeah. you see fit. And people often say to me, you know, you know, I quite like a bit of ice in my white wine or, you know, put a bit of soda water in, you know, is that awful? I'm like, no, it's yours. As I mean, if you were going to do that to like a really prestigious, you know, rare yeah. bottle, I might raise an eyebrow. But if it's cheap and cheerful stuff and it's a hot day, just have fun with it. That's what it's there for. That's that's really good to hear. That was one of the things that we sort of got into with our research, that there seems to be all these rules and this structure around it. But it, it really ultimately boils down to what it is that you like and how you want to to have it which um yeah that, that's really interesting that you've raised that without I, I completely agree with that and it's so personal so your choices about why you might decide on a particular wine it could be about flavor so you might think it's a chilly day i quite feel like a rich spicy red you know to go with my steak i totally get that but actually a lot of decisions about wine are increasingly being made about how people feel about the way the wine is made and what it will do for example to the environment you know if you're really into sustainability you might want to watch you know well do they use herbicides do they use pesticides yep. is it organic is it fair trade you know what are the ethics behind the wine so it's not just the liquid anymore and the kind of the, the label and what it says to you it's actually a whole world of stuff that culminates yes. in a brilliant experience that you can share with your mates amazing That's amazing yeah we, we did not mention that part did we no we didn't um we didn't. one thing i wanted to know is uh so do you have to constantly keep on top of like new wines or new vintages and Basically, are you just drinking wine all the time so that you're always, you know, like you're always on trend, like you know what what is what all the yeah. time? Yeah, I mean, the short answer is yeah, but I just re- replaced drinking with tasting because I, if, I, if I did drink it all, I, I would, I, you know, I don't think I'd still be around. So I spit it out. I taste it. I write my notes. But yes, the short answer is absolutely. I've got to know what's going on where. And before the pandemic, travel was a huge part of my job, mm-hmm. you know, seeing the wine growers, finding out how the vintage was, you know, eking out those little corners that are maybe undiscovered discovered and when you're in a place you really do get a sense of how it how it feels you know what what it really means and and that really helps with wine because it might be pairing it with a dish or it might be a story about the place but it kind of gets really rich and deep in your kind of you know in the way you feel about the wine so yes I taste a lot of wine I make my notes and then I make my recommendations and actually when you line them up you know the, the kind of the real joy of my job is I get to taste kind of all the wines on the shelves of the major supermarkets, for example. And it really does, you know, you can really, when you find a great one, you can really feel it, you know, and if it is like a bargain, if it's five, six, seven quid, and it really does over deliver, that's when I get really excited. Because if you're spending 25, 30, 40 quid on a bottle of wine, you'd really hope it was amazing, right? But if you're spending six pounds 50, and it just is so delicious that it makes you want to sing, that 
is an amazing bottle of wine and I get really overexcited. So yeah, yeah. I love doing it. And and side by side, it, it's kind of like they they just they really speak. You know, you can just you can see, well, this one is leagues better than that one. And it yeah. might be that the wine's not necessarily the, you know, as balanced as another one, or it might have a bit of a burn of alcohol, sharp acidity. You kind of get into it as you taste more. It's like anything in life. It's training. The more you repeat the exercise, yes. the quicker you get and the better you get. And, you know, it's a, it's a really strange thing to do for a job. You know, my mum my was a nurse and dad was a teacher. And they do, you know, at Christmas, they occasionally peer over the table and just look at me and go, really? I mean, is, is, is this actually what you do? And it's like, yeah, I love it. It's great. <laughs> it's it's one one of the things you said there was around price and yeah. so the, the price of wine you know varies incredibly and you're saying you know if you find a nice six pound fifty one yeah. and that's great but do, like, how important like does the price matter how important do you think the price is I think it is it's it's definitely an indicator and the days of the, the kind of the, the, the really amazing sub sub five pound bottle of wine are maybe harder to find however you know, it, you have to think about the amount you're spending on the actual liquid in the bottle because a lot of it goes on the duty, you know, importing the wine, your know, taxes, you know, the various costs that go mm. into it if it's hand harvested and all the rest, transport, you name it, PR labeling. So actually, if you do spend a few quid more, like for example, let's say seven, eight quid, then you're proportionally, you are spending a lot more on the liquid in the bottle. So I would say, you know, I've I found some amazing wines for 650. I found some great ones for 750. I can still find them under a fiver, and I'll give you a good example of one. Okay. Uh, there's a co-op wine called a Fair Trade Chenin Blanc from South Africa, and it's—I'm pretty sure it's about four pounds thirty-five—and it tastes really good. I'm not going to say it's the, like the greatest white wine in the world because it's—you know—it's a cheap and cheerful, delightful wine. But what I will say is fair trade. So you know that somebody's not, you know, really feeling the pressure of yes. like being kind of, you know, trying to deliver the wine as a lost leader or something like that. It's actually doing good socially to someone somewhere in South Africa and it's a bargain. So that's a great example of one that I think, yeah, you can buy that, drink it, enjoy it and feel, Brilliant. you know, feel good about the world. That's cool. Um, along the same line, but before I start, I got to ask you a separate question. How do you say the word Sommelier, sommelier. <laughs> You've literally you nailed it first time. Sommelier. It's that you know. I worked with this guy. Uh, I'm sure you won't mind me saying Al Al Clinton. And and I was kind of. I have these wine bars on PO cruises on on the ships called the Glass House, which I love. And I, you know, going out and you know, meeting people, pouring wine for them on their holiday. It's brilliant. But Al applied for the job as the head sommelier. And it's a true story. He, he literally, when he was off, he, he was working in bars, but he wasn't that into wine. And the first time he went for the interview, he literally shrugged and went, why on earth are they sending me to Somalia? And, and they had to sort of explain, it's not Somalia, mate. It's a job. You're going to be an amazing sommelier. He got the job. You know why he got the job, actually? He was, he was, he didn't, he, he he was really enthusiastic about customers and people. And it was that the, the thing was, I was interviewing him and I met him the first time. And he said, look, I don't know that much about wine, but I love bars. I love the culture of it. And I said, so why do you think you'd be really good at this? And he said, oh, well, if you come into my bar and you order a drink, next time you come, I'll know what you like. And I thought, well, that is impressive. And he went, no, no, I don't mean like next week. I mean, like in literally five, 10, 15 years, wow. I never miss it. And it wow. was true. I worked with him for years and he remembered people and he got it right. And it goes a long way, you know, wow, it's like, incredible. oh, he's like recognition, a familiar face, your yeah. usual. It's like, oh, how cool is that? I loved him for that. But yes, you've said it exactly right, Liam. It's sommelier. So on that note, so we were talking about, one thing we were talking about in the pod is about like, if you get given a wine list, what to do with it, if you really don't know what you're doing. And one of the things we, we yeah. talked about was the price. Uh, but a second thing we'd read is that generally, if you can afford it, an older wine is better. 
Now, is that generally true or not? I'm I'm going to say not necessarily because I think an older wine can be absolutely delicious, but not all wines age in the same way. Okay. So if you want, so just to sort of clarify for the listeners, you know, an aged wine, let's take a red wine. When red wines are young, they tend to taste like, you know, berries. So if you think about a blackberry from the, you know, the autumn bushes as you walk the dog, that kind of prime fruit flavor. As yeah. they age, they just tend to get much more savory. So just think, you know, the gravy on the Sunday roast or, you know, something literally a bit more earthy. If you're a fan of mushrooms, those sorts of flavors, yeah. that's the sort of end of the spectrum. You know, with whites, they tend to be zesty and bright when they're young. And when they're older, they get rich and they have this kind of nut character you know thinking of pine nuts and hazelnuts all walnuts you know all that sort of thing but but if you were to age the wrong one it could be it could be a disaster so i think a safe bet and a restaurant list is always something like a good region with a strong reputation and a place like for example rioca in spain they do young wines and they do mature wines so you've got a kind of broad stretch but a really Safe bet is right in the middle, and it's called a Rioja Reserva. So Rioja Reservas for reds, and actually down the supermarket as well. It's right in the middle, so it's going to please most people around the table. It's just savoury enough for those who prefer something a bit more mature, and it's fruity enough for those who don't. And with white wines, ooh, good all-rounder for white. Do you know, I always kind of point people in the direction of Italy for, for kind of general white wines, because they're so good. But rather than pick your Pinot Grigio, you know, which we all know and love, or your Prosecco, yes. You know, go for a grape you haven't heard of before. And there yeah. are loads of them, like Falangina, Vermentino, Grillo, Gracanico. They all have these amazing, yeah, I know. They do sound like they might be, you know, creams for, for difficult conditions, some of them. But they, but they are they're utterly delicious. And on restaurant wine, it's a lot of them because, you, you know, they're hard to pronounce or they're, you know, unfamiliar. You might find they're uh, a few quid cheaper even. Uh, that's brilliant I mean, we won't even that, attempt to try and read some of those back to you or try and repeat some of those back to you but that that, that again that's that's really good to hear and everyone will will um, will have heard in the pod that it's um yeah using that tactic and that that method is absolutely the the right thing to do in picking something you've not heard of because definitely it should be on the wine list for yeah. a particular reason it means oh, yeah. somebody oh. has gone to the effort to find yes. something a bit different this is it, Ollie. So I, I think we could double down on that and say if you if you're in a, if you're ever in a situation where you're you, you know you're in a restaurant with a, with a wine list and maybe there's even a wine waiter or a sommelier, you know, ask he or her, ask them what's the kind of wine that you're really passionate about that feels like a bit of a steal that nobody orders because it's just so unfamiliar. So it might be. Yeah. A wine from Romania. It might be a Greek wine, and I absolutely love Greek wine. It could be, I've had wines from Mexico, delicious. Yeah. You know, it, it's just ask them for the off the beaten track gem that they're really excited about, but that no one's really up for. You know, and if you if you're prepared to do that, you know, they won't fleece you. What they want is for you to come back time and time again. So yes. they'll do it for you. And it's just honestly, it's such a fun thing to do. And they want to show you, you know, they're enthusiastic about their list and they know it the best. And a lot of, well, I think the thing that holds people back, as it has myself, so if I walk into a, a restaurant and there's a wine list and they hand me the wine list, I just don't have the confidence to then yeah. be asking the sommelier questions about it, where doing our research and reading, it seemed to just boil down to, you know, expect that you won't know everything and there's somebody on hand there who can That's tell exactly you, it. Tell you all about it. it. It's flipping it around. So yeah. you're exactly right. Because I... I go into a restaurant and I, I've not tasted every single wine under the sun. And what really gives me a kick is when I find things that I don't really know that well. So yes. I go into a restaurant and I will say to the sommelier, 
you know, I, what's this one? I don't know it. You know, tell me about it. And it's totally cool to say to someone, I, I, I'm not really very familiar with this. To be honest, I don't really know how to say it. And if you just give them a few <laughs> cues, like, you know, the things you like in life, you know, it might be one well, of my favorite thing in the world. You know, I really like roast chicken or I really like sweet things or just mm. give them a few ideas of what you usually drink, gin and tonic or, you know, rum and coke. And they'll be able to divine from that the kind of thing that you would enjoy. And it's so, you're bang on basically thinking of using them as your confidence. Because, you know, if I'm thinking of another situation, like I, I love sport and I go to the, you know, games of footy with my mate Dave, he knows so much about it. And I, I'm not that knowledgeable, but I will just say to him, what's going on? Yeah. And I love that yeah. he's able to just fill me in. It's like, it's totally cool not to know everything. And yep. yeah, that's yeah, it. Put, put your trust in them, basically, because it's, fu it's fun to do. And you'll spread your wings and you'll taste things you never imagined. Yeah, that's great. One thing that got really complicated, we, <laughs> originally we were going to talk about it and then realise it's pretty hard. Actually pairing wine with food like the yes. actual process of, of pairing yes um we just wondered whether you've got any tips like you know if you turn up to like are there any like golden rules you'd say to pair a wine with some food or vice versa definitely and it's a brilliant question because realistically most of the time if you're having a glass of wine, there's usually some food involved. I mean, obviously, there's the time when you're drinking a nice, you know, glass of something, watching The Sopranos. We all do it, feet up, enjoying yourself, a few dry roasted peanuts on the side. I mean, it sounds like heaven to me. But yeah, food. So first thing to think of is what's the biggest flavour in the dish? So if you're, for example, having some pasta, it's highly likely to be the sauce. You know, there's a really big difference between, say, steamed chicken and chicken that you find in a spicy curry sauce. Yes. So where's the biggest flavor coming from? Think about that. The second thing to think about is what sort of group is it? Because if it's like savory, rich, like a steak, you, you, know, you could go for a savory, rich wine that would work absolutely fine. Spicy food really, really loves being paired with fruity white wines. If you pair it with a dry white wine, it's gonna make the dry white wine taste really sharp, like lemon juice. So go for something more lush. So a good, good example is like Pinot Gris. Same grape as Pinot Grigio, left on the vine for longer to get nice and ripe. Good examples from Alsace, New Zealand. And I'll give you a top pairing. Pinot Gris with chicken tikka masala is absolute paradise on a plate. I okay. love it. And you can find decent Pinot Gris down the shops for under a tenner. It is divine. New Zealand particularly, I love them. So, you know, other kind of things though, you might think, uh, you know, cheese. People always think, oh, it's red wine and cheese. Yes. Well, not always. Because if you think about all the flavours of cheeses and all the textures and intensities, something like mozzarella, it's quite a chewy texture, but it's quite light in flavour. Nice glass of white Prosecco, that works a charm. Bubbles contrast with a creamy texture, it's great. Goat's cheese, cracking with a glass of Sauvignon Blanc, really nice little pairing. You know, red wines, of course, can go cheddar and Cabernet Sauvignon, lovely, Port and Stilton. But if you're thinking in general, next time you serve a cheese board, right, when we're out of the pandemic and you've got people around, yes. stick a load of cheese on a platter, open up a bottle of red and a bottle of white, put them out at the end of the meal and just see what people do. Because I'll bet you more people than you think will end up filling up on the white without thinking about it because it sort of allows more of the cheese flavours to flourish. And at the end of a meal, it's quite refreshing you know it'll get them invigorated and then you can switch on the kitchen disco you're set till dawn ah. <laughs> Liam you make a note of that for your next yeah I'll make a party. note of that for my wife's party yeah open up one of each birthday party yes one of each Rioja Reserva is what I've got written down do you know so what Rioja Reserva is a great one and <laughs> you know another what's another kind of do you know what? another really good one that I'll kind of say to everyone to give a go to is is, is from Chile and it's called Carmen Air and it's a really lovely grape right it's not 
too rich and spicy, but it has quite a bit of character. And in my experience serving it to people, it's a real crowd pleaser. It's kind of got that, that magic kind of intersection. It's almost like somebody managed to go, yeah, if you like sci-fi and Westerns, you know, you guys should all get together and do this. You know, it's like, it shouldn't really work. And it does. It's amazing. You know, all lovers of red wine seem to enjoy it. So as a grape and all the supermarkets seem to do an own label for around seven, eight quid, Chile and Carmen Air, give it a go. So we were sort of on those lines then. We were wondering if there are any absolute no-nos that you, you shouldn't do. That's a really good question. I think that's a great question. I don't think anyone's ever asked me that before. I think that one no-no I would say, so you know when you open a, a, a bottle... Uh, don't put it on your cornflakes. Yeah, <laughs> that is a no-no. <laughs> that, Ollie, that is a no-no. <laughs> but when you open your bottle of wine and the cork and you might see a bit, few bits of cork floating around in the glass, I've seen people in the past say, oh, no, it's cork, don't serve it. And it's like, no, no, that's not cork. That's just bits of cork floating around in the glass. A corked wine, right, is when you open up the bottle, you pour the wine and you smell it or taste it and it just you'll, it's unmistakable. It smells like kind of mouldy card. Board. Okay. It's not a pleasant thing. So basically, if it's uh, if it's not like wine and it's not and it's filthy, but not in the good way, then <laughs> it's probably corked. <laughs> and and it's one of those things that a no no would be to basically d- just don't drink it because it's not very nice. Just take it back to the shop. They should give you an exchange or a refund. Or if you're in a restaurant, they should absolutely switch it out for the same bottle. But yeah, don't persevere. That would be my kind of one big no no. Okay. If the wine's faulty, or if there's something wrong with it, or if it's turned to vinegar, just forget it. Just yeah, move on. Yeah. And oh, the other thing is, yeah, people often say to me, you know, is it all right to to put you know shonky wine that doesn't taste quite right? Is it okay to cook with it? No way. It's going to make your cooking taste horrible. <laughs> you know, just 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 just. It's, it's not a win, but just take it back to the shop, get a refund or an exchange, and yeah, crack on with the next bottle. Yep. Um, you've mentioned loads of like go to. One of our questions was going to be Are there any great all, all round wines Ooh, good that question. you could order safe in the knowledge that just about everybody would like them? Yes, there are. I mean, do you know what? And, and increasingly, I've realized that they're, they're, they're kind of, they're almost hiding in plain sight. And I'm going to say that I've had a lot of luck especially out in a restaurant with ordering wine from Portugal because the whites tend to be really zesty and fresh, full of fruit. And the reds, they're very pleasing. They're sumptuous and Moorish. And they've been blending for so long over there with their own local grape varieties. You're also going to get something a bit different in the flavours. So I don't know why it is, but I do find whenever I pour a Portuguese, what people are always pleasantly surprised. And they think, oh, I wasn't expecting that. That's really delicious. So it's almost like they've never heard Led Zeppelin before and they're kind of already fans of Pink Floyd and you just play them the opening bars of Stowe to Heaven and they're just yes. like oh this is terrific you're like yes I know it's amazing isn't it <laughs> yeah yeah let's listen to the whole album order another bottle <laughs> yeah brilliant no, I like that on that on that vein do you have an absolute favorite what's been your the, your most favorite wine that you've ever had and is there a story that goes along with it yeah I mean there's a few to be honest I'm really at the moment I'm really into English wine and I love that we're producing some amazing sparkling wine really good white wine the reds are coming on the roses are good you know there's so many good vineyards now so I would urge all the listeners of the pod to go and check out local vineyards it's really wonderful what's going on Um, I think overall the country that has given me the most joy in wine in my life so far 
is Greece, which I mentioned. And it's one of those countries that may not be the first thing you think of with wine. Because no. a lot of people think, ah, oh, Retsina, Uzo, uh, yeah, yes. things I did in my 20s that I probably <laughs> regret, uh, including being very sunburnt. But Greece has a really amazing culture of boutique winemaking with local grape varieties. And, and a lot of them you can only get when you're there. So, and I love traveling in Greece. I've been every year since I was 19, apart from the last two because of the pandemic, mm. so this year and last year. And every time I go somewhere different and I always find a new wine that I absolutely love. So if I'm going to pick one kind of particular wine, I'd probably say it's it's a great variety called Assyrtiko and it's from Santorini. It's basically the white wine they make on Santorini, but okay. it's so electrifying. It is li literally like drinking liquid thunderbolts. I absolutely love it. And oh, it's amazing. properly, yeah, it's pro it's really zesty. It's It feels like it's got absolutely bags of character and you're sitting out there in the heat it's ice cold you're having a platter of fish it's just it's so hard to beat that and I love my happy memories of being out there with my family and I've got mates from Greece who I I know well in the wine trade yes. so yeah it would probably be that epic volcanic island of Santorini and some here to go and is it only available in Santorini? Well, no, it's not, actually. There is some really good stuff in the UK. And actually, there's one in Aldi at the moment, which is a banger for six ninety nine called Asprey Petra. And it's a it's absolutely incredible wine. And it's grown in the north. It doesn't actually come from Santorini. It's grown in Amindio, I think. Um, and it's the 2020 Asprey Petra. And it's, yeah, it's absolutely divine. It really feels like someone's put, you know, a lemon and a pencil sharpener and really kind of given it the full beans. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's a dart of a wine. You've got to get your chops around it. Okay. Well, well, I think Liam, we need to make sure that we I, um, um, we both try that, and we we yeah, report we, back. We'll, we'll feed back to you, Liam. We'll let you yeah, know yeah. our thoughts. I'll send I, you a link. I to live it. opposite Audi. If I look out my front door, I can see Amazing. An Audi. So Amazing! Literally, you scurry over there after this. Yeah, go and bag bag a bottle, and then if you like it, bag all of it because it'll run out someday, and it's really worth having. <laughs> um, one thing that we got what we found quite interesting is it. When we do our research, you would end up in these little rabbit holes, like, because you don't really know what you're doing. And so you end up just reading about random things. One of the things we read about was how important the glass is. Oh, yes. Yeah. The wine is served. Yes. And, you know, these funny rules about you only fill it as to the widest part of the glass or something. Bang on. Yeah, to the points of return. Um, you're exactly right. Yeah. And yeah, like, how important, like, you know, can, can I put wine in my pint glass and will yeah. it taste the same or. It it's not. it's a brilliant question. So, uh, you know, the first thing to say is, of course, you don't need to spend a fortune on fancy wine glasses. You know, you can use beakers on holiday if the wine's nice and cheap and cheerful. Of course, there is a new range of glassware being launched, I believe, at ollysmith.com. Oh, Go nice. and check it out. I mean, who knew? Who knew? But <laughs> it's one of those brilliant questions because really the simple answer is, right, the reason you pour the wine up to the point of return and, and not much higher than that is so you can swirl it. And the swirling thing is to basically get a bit of oxygen around the wine because it's been mm -hmm. cooped up in that bottle. And if you allow a bit of oxygen in, you could decant it into a jug and then into your glass as well. It's literally like turning the volume up on the flavours and, the, and okay. the aromas. And that's basically free extra fun. So it's worth that bit of kind of mo motion and doing it. Plus, you know, you can really get your nose involved. And as far as the kind of size and shape goes, it does have a surprising amount of influence. So white wine glasses, if you think of it almost like speakers, you know, if you've got kind of something quite bright and tinny in music, little kind of speakers are absolutely fine. But if you've got really big bass, you need those massive subwoofers. Uh, yeah, and it's yeah. kind of like that with big rain, red wine glasses. You want to amplify all of the complexity, all the aromas. With white wine, it's a bit more delicate. You want to focus them up, funnel them, and keep them nice and tight and light. So 
it is a really fascinating thing to do to taste wine from different glasses because it can have an influence. But one of the interesting things I would also say is professionally, when every wine journalist is tasting wine, when we go to these wine tastings that are laid on, whether it's by the supermarket and indie or whoever, mm-hmm. um, we always use one glass to taste all the wine to keep them on a level playing field. And I've always found that quite oh. fascinating. So, yeah, because if you imagine, you, you almost be giving an unfair advantage if you kept shifting glasses. So yes. we always stick to one for red, white, fizz, rosé, you know, fortified, the whole nine yards. And that and that's because we're evaluating professionally. But I do think when you're at home and it's a bit of theatre, it is a bit of fun to kind of get out the the big ones for the red and the kind of mm-hmm. dainty for the white and then those flutes if you're having a bit of fizz oh I love it a gin balloon oh, I love a good gin balloon as well <laughs> I could just fly off to the moon in one of those we were yeah we were reading about is it carafes and mm. then getting it you know, decanted as well yeah. if you go into a restaurant like just having the confidence to say can you decanter this you should definitely and and, and it's worth the, the listeners you know giving this a go so even if you're buying a wine that's inexpensive it's your everyday kitchen table drink try doing this right next time you have it open the bottle pour some into a glass leave it okay pour some into a carafe or a jug doesn't matter about the shape it's not going to affect it you know it can be one of those fancy ship decanters it can be an old milk bottle you've cleaned out doesn't matter it's the act of pouring that does this magic so you pour it into a little jug or something like that and then you pour it into another glass so one's been decanted one hasn't smell them both you'll find that the one that you haven't decanted perfectly fine nice glass of wine the one you have it's almost like a rose that's petals have fully come out ah. more aroma bit more flavor a little bit more character oh smash it back delightful oh ollie you're you're making me want to get into wine even more your enthusiasm is <laughs> just rubbing off on me and i'm, honestly, I'm not a big i'm not a big wine drinker honestly ollie, you're you're, you're, you'll find you'll, you'll find a wine that really sort of sets you into it as well and that's such fun when you find the first one that you really love i remember it was like aussie shiraz and chardonnay back in the day i just thought i love this it tastes fun it's like fruity it's informal there wasn't any stuffiness that i could read the label i understood what they were saying i felt like it was a an adventure that I was invited to rather than a kind of closed book that I was being held away from. And I think wine's got much better at doing that. You know, a lot of the labeling's more friendly. You've got natural wines that are not adding anything to them. They've got some really jazzy labels. And the scene is so fun. You know, so many young people now are leaving school or coming out of college or, or going to university and then making wine for a job. And it's not mm. just the making of the wine, it's the working in the vineyards. It might be the marketing of the wine. It could be working in the tasting room. The, the whole culture that surrounds it, it is for everybody, no matter their background, no matter their gender, no matter any kind of consideration of who they are. It is, it's my motto, basically, all for wine and wine for all. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. I, I, I think that leads us on quite nicely too. We were wondering what, what do you see as the, the next big thing then in the world of wine? I'm going to say Austria because Austria has some fabulous reds and amazing white wines and they do other stuff, but really that it feels like we haven't even scratched the surface yet. And there was a scandal in the eighties with this kind of antifreeze thing. And you can read about it online. So Austria was kind of held back a bit, Uh, but the the, the real truth of it is it, it really made them just be so pure in how they make the wine. They really couldn't risk anything. So their approach to winemaking is, is just, the attention to detail is spectacular. If you think of the country, it's, it, you imagine the beginning of The Sound of Music with Julie Andrews, you know, singing with the pristine mountain. It's that kind of purity I'm talking about. And the white wines, they're just bright and delicious and delightful. Great, great varieties. Gruner, Veltliner. All the supermarkets have got it. I'm not sure how many people are buying it. I've always said, 
it's ne- it's the next week's thing. It's okay. so lovely. You know, bit of seafood. It could be fish and chips. It might be scallops. It doesn't matter. It could be any of those things. Druna Veltliner is totally brilliant. And for reds, you've got Blau Frankish, Zweigelt, Saint Laurent, you know, and others. But who's who's drinking these and buying them apart from me and a few of my mates in the wine trade? <laughs> I'm telling you, Austria feels to me like the next big thing. And you never quite know right because nobody really saw New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc coming we didn't know Pinot Grigio was going to be a big hit or Prosecco and it comes out of the blue so I'm I'm really hoping because I really believe in the Austrians Uh I'm really hoping they get their day so heard it here first that's Ollie's Ollie's prediction that we all need to yeah look out for it may take another few years but when it does I'm taking full credit yes I think you should (laughs) (laughs) amazing um, that that has been super interesting, Ollie. Uh, Liam, were there any any other outstanding questions? I've got no questions. It's just so interesting. I could talk. Yeah, no, I don't know. Well, I, all I'll say is, if anyone wants to get in touch, you know, I'm on Instagram at Ollie Smith. You can find me on my website, ollysmith.com. And lads, if you want to stay in touch, if you have any wine questions, do ask because you know that's kind of the culture of wine that I really like. It's it's very much. I've never really met anybody in the trade or a wine grower or another a fellow kind of wine uh, wine enthusiast who's, who's, who's been kind of who's been grumpy about it. Yes. You know, it kind of goes with the turf that this is an amazing thing to be talking about. You know, you think about a vine growing in the soil, making a delicious fruit that's then fermented and it couldn't be more of its place and somebody around the world tastes it and they get that link straight to the place. They open up that bottle. It's shared around with some buddies. Honestly, it's just... It, it just fills me with delight. So yeah, I really appreciate you having me on the show. It's it's really so cool. um, just free wines. You've got, I've got to go and buy. Then you said so. Yes. Co-op fair trade Chenin Blanc. Yeah, four pounds thirty-five. Get in. Very Audi, good. Audi Audi Asprey Petra twenty twenty. That's, that's the one. Six pounds ninety-nine. I think it is excellent wine. And some Austrian. I missed the second word. Gruner Veltliner. Gruner Veltliner. Exactly that. I can throw you in another curveball if you like. There's <laughs> yeah, another absolute do. belter. So Marks and Spencers have got this, and I, and it's so delicious it might even make you weep. It's called <laughs> Marks and Spencers found Fetiasca, which is F E T E A S C A Regala. R-E-G-A-L-A, and it's from Romania, 2020. I think from memory, it's like maybe £8.50, maybe a bit less. Honestly, you smell it, and first of all, you think, oh, that smells like refreshers from when I was in my childhood. And then suddenly it's like, oh my, it's like a rose just exploding in my face. And when you drink it, it's just like sipping peaches. I can't tell you how much you're going to love that wine. Oh, on that note, I think we'll leave it there, Ollie. That is such a great tip. Thank you so much for being yeah, our you. topic expert this week. Um, yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure having you. You guys rock. Thank you so much. Hooray! Well then, Liam, how good was that? Speaking with Ollie. We say this most times we do an expert interview, but how cool is it talking to somebody that actually knows what we're talking about? Incredible. And just the enthusiasm that Ollie had for the wine it genuinely has made me want to look into it in more detail understand it a bit more and just figure out what is it that I like the taste of I got a couple of bottles up on you know when you get given a bottle from somebody and then like you don't really drink it so you keep it I got a couple of bottles I'm thinking I might crack them open and see if I can work (laughs) out what they taste like (laughs) they might have aged pretty well depending on how long you've had them (laughs) I probably haven't had some of them for a long time (laughs) No, that was really, really interesting. Properly interesting. Um, yeah, major thanks to Ollie for doing that with us. That was great. Hopefully you will learn 
lots of stuff as well. Um, yeah, great, really good. Yeah, thank you very much for listening, everybody. We'd love to hear your comments as well or your thoughts. Um, please get in contact with us at Two Guys One Topic on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. And we look forward to speaking with you next week. Get out there and share some knowledge. <laughs>